as we continue through here, we saw last week um, the Holy Spirit's begun to work. It's been poured out upon the church. Peter and John go up to the temple um, to pray. And in verse 11 it says, And now as a lame man who was healed, or was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together into the porch, which is called the Solomon's, greatly amazed. And so what happened, they go up in the ninth hour, which is about 3 o'clock, to pray. In the temple, as we looked last week, there's a man there that has been lame for birth 40 years, and they don't have any silver and gold, and they say, you know, rise up and walk. Peter grabs his hand, lifted up, definitely full of the Holy Spirit, directed by the Holy Spirit, power of the Holy Spirit working there, and this man is healed, and this man held onto him with a death grip, you know, and is excited and jumping around, and, and literally there, there's a crowd that starts to run that direction. And... It ends up pretty packed, and, and really, the crowd size could be, you know, guess, but most are guessing around 20 to anywhere between 20 and 40,000. Okay, you're talking about an audience, right? We're not talking 500, and if you're being pressed with a crowd that size and what's going on, it's amazing to see. And so this is the kind of where we pick it up. This is going on. This has happened. Um, this man's been miraculously healed. He's jumping up and down with joy. The people have seen what's happened. They're amazed at it. And in verse 12 it says, And so when Peter saw it, these men running at him, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as by our own power of godliness we had made this man walk? And so he sits there and goes, why are you marveling at this? Why are you, don't look at us. You know, this guy's holding on. People are looking at them. They're seeing how this guy's reaction, who he's holding on to. And he goes, don't look at us. Don't be marveled at this. This is God. This is Jesus. And he gets into it. And so at this opportunity here, still full of the Holy Spirit, not, you know, it's not like he went up to the our prayer with his sermon notes ready to teach, you know. But follow the Holy Spirit as he's there. This crowd begins to press and Peter begins to explain why it is, what took place, and who it is. It's Jesus. And as he begins to share that, it reveals also who they are. And so in verse 13, it says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our Father, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered and denied in the presence of Pilate, and he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One, the just, and asked for a murder to be granted to you. So, it's interesting at first when you see it here, you know, he says, you know, he calls him, hey, men of Israel, you know, hey, men of Israel, you know, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, going, hey, we're the same here, we have the same heritage, we're, you know, we're brothers, we're cousins in the Lord, and if he was trying to build a bridge and be relatable, he kind of destroyed it right in the next couple sentences, right? He murdered the Messiah, he murdered the Holy One, right? And, and as you go through and you look at this, and, and, and he sits there and he compares and he says, you are the Holy One. He refers to Jesus as the Holy One. Over 40 times in the Old Testament, God is referred to the Holy One. When Peter says he is the Holy One of God, he is the Holy One, he is the just one, he is declaring them to be God, equal with God. 100% these men knew exactly what he was saying. Jesus was God whom you had killed, whom you had murdered, and you chose a murderer over him. And in verse 15 it says, And killed the Prince of Life, 
whom God has raised from the dead, which we are witnesses. Now the prince of life you killed, which seems like an oxymoron. The prince of life, the author of life you have killed. Right? And the Jews were part of it. The Jews went, they went before Rome, they had him put on a cross, they encouraged it, they desired for his death. The Roman, the Gentiles, took their part in it and allowed it and crucified him. And they're all guilty of this. And, and Peter doesn't hold back at all. He's telling them, hey, you had him crucified, you went to this end with him. Here, the prince of life, you killed. And God raised him from the dead. And we are all witnesses. What's the amazing thing is, you know, it might seem like a simple thing when you sit there and read through it, but there wasn't a doubt of that. To be able to state that at that time after Christ rose again, it was common knowledge he had rose from the dead. You're all witnesses. It's not like we got to, well, let's explain what happened and, and let's bring some witnesses in here and here, I'm going to bring this guy up and talk to this guy. No, this is common knowledge. You know what I mean? It, there, there wasn't a question. Everybody knew what had happened. And when you come and you look at this and you go, okay, so there are somehow the Jews, the Jews put Jesus on the cross are horrible while the Gentiles had a hand on it. But ultimately, and you've heard it said, and it's true, Jesus would have died for one of us. If we were the only one, Jesus would have went to the cross for us. But at the same time, realizing that if Jesus would have given his life up for us, we are also... Jesus died because of us and our sin. And one of us. Just us. And so, it's amazing when you sit here and you look through, especially with many of the you know, styles of teaching and everything out there today, how many times Peter uses the word you. Right? He's not saying we, somebody out there. He's saying you. You, you personally did this. You are responsible, right? And it's a very direct teaching, you know, he isn't trying to gain friends and influence people, you know, he's not trying to motivate them to be a better them, he isn't trying to do anything, he's just straight out calling them out, and there is a time and a place for that, and sadly, I don't, I, I think we're in a time and a place where that's needed, to be, sit down and look at it, but first, before you start calling others out, you need to call yourself out and go, okay, what is our handed? You know, so many times we can sit down and we can think, you know, how bad is the sin we commit? You know, the world sits around and calls it good. It's not that bad, or this is okay, and wants to justify it. And, and we can tend to think and make light of those things. You know, our sin isn't that bad. You know, imagine there's a, there's a guy, he, he's not even intoxicated. He just, he's got a fast car, he bought his fast car, likes to drive fast, been doing it for years, runs a red light and takes out a whole family. Kids and all. Stands before the judge and he's sitting there and the judge is like, you know, this is attempted, you know, murder, you got all this, this, you're going to be in jail for years for your actions. The guy goes, come on, man, I've driven this way for years. Years, one time, one time, come on, just one, can I get some community service? What's the big deal? You know, it doesn't matter, I mean, yeah, I was there, just one time, what's, you know. I've done no, you know, you know how many times, you know how many red lights I've blown, and it's one time when you're going to hold me, you're really going to hold me accountable for that. I mean, it's just, you know, come on, community service or something. I mean, it's not my fault. Maybe you need to call a guy who made the car, okay? I didn't design the car to go that fast, you know? Maybe it could have been designed better or something. You know, those other people, they had a green light, but maybe they should have been looking out for me. You know, what's their problem? You know, and 
that's kind of sometimes the attitude we can have with sin in our lives. We justify it, we go there, it's like, that's not that bad. You know, to everybody else, that's horrible. You can, like, give that guy the full sentence. This guy has no, he should never touch a car again. But when it's ourselves, we can justify it. We can make it different. We can soften it. And I think so many times we forget that, you know? And then at the same time, to sit down and realize the fact that, yes, we are guilty of sin and this cost of sin and the gravity of that. What was the cost? The cross to go to that, that the Savior had to be put to death, the penalty of those things. And then to sit there and realize, who, who of you with your, one of your children was harmed by somebody, greatly harmed by somebody, would forgive them? Would you, would you take their place of punishment for what they did for your child to your child? And you think of who we find out our Savior is here, that he willingly went to the cross. And to look at that, and, and you know, when we look at these things, and the reality of it, and right away when you sit there and you talk about the reality of our sin, most of us would rather wash over it while I'm saved. Now nah, I don't want to forget about it. I want to, you know, oh, we're, you know, grace, we're saved, and these things, and we're good. Instead of still sitting there and seriously looking at our sin. If we all sat down, I make you guys feel all real bad because the second I do it, there are sins you've committed that you've seen the cause and the destruction of. And if you're a believer, yes, there's God grace in it, and there's there. The sad thing is the world sees these things and they, they want to, oh, you know, it makes you feel bad. Let's just look at it different. Let's change it. You know, I remember the example given when we were looking at um, going through a book called Psychologizing the Faith and some of these things, you know. If you're driving down the road and your check engine light comes on, does that make you feel bad? Oh, I'm sorry that makes you feel bad. How about we just put a little black sticker over it, okay, so you, it's not shining at you and you can feel better, okay? Just, you know, don't worry about it. Take some deep breaths. You know, maybe you need to call up and blame it on your dad for not changing your oil or somebody else. The truth is, if a check engine light comes on your car and you ignore it, what happens? The car breaks down. Usually to fix, fix a check engine light on older cars nowadays, you know, it could be the whatever the gas cap's loose. But on other cars, you had to open the hood and get dirty. You had to deal with things. It was uncomfortable. It didn't make you feel good. And that was work. We are sinners. We need work. We need a lot of work. God's going to come in and change our hearts. And we were part of that. And Christ would have gone to the cross because of one of our sins. To save us from the cost of that and the penalty of that. And I think so many times we can sit there and, and again, we, we justify it, we walk it away. We, we come on another way. You're either a sinner in need of a Savior or you're a sinner who is saved. That's it. It doesn't matter if you're whitewashed, if you're out of South Stockton, out of gangs, what color, what anything you are. Those are the two categories every single person fits in in this world. You've either been saved, and you're a saved sinner, seeking God with a new heart and a new creation, or you need to be saved, and you were one of those. And it's really hard to judge one of those when you've been one. And really, that's where it's at, and that's why Peter, I believe, is, can't also be so bold here, is because he was a sinner, saved by grace. He can say you because it's been a him. Verse 16, and it says, And his name, through faith in his name, he has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, 
the faith which comes through him has been given him in his perfect soundness and in the presence of you all. The faith in Jesus made this man well through faith in him. What's amazing about faith is it is not in us. It is not based on us. Faith is simply putting your trust in God. And it isn't it's not trusting in your trust of God. How much faith you have. Well, it all depends how much faith I have in God. And if I can get some more faith, then I can have more faith from God. No. It's faith in Him. It's letting go and just letting Him. You know, and it's not faith in how much we trust Him. It's not faith in how much we've done for Him. That's going to have a result. Faith is simply taking your trust and your understanding and trusting God in what he says. And there are many times when you come to different scriptures and things, this does not make sense. It clashes with my thinking. It clashes with my faith. It clashes with what I you know, think the world thinks and what's going on in this culture. But God, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to trust you with it. It doesn't make sense. You know, many times you see all the different things, and we, we mentioned it last week, and, and you know, more you think about it, words that have been redefined. Love. What is biblical love? You know, how many people come up to you, oh, um, doesn't your God a loving God? Yes. Well, then why would he not want this couple to be together? Because that's not love. Simple as that. It's not love. Love has truth. Love is patient. Love is kind. There's a really good definition there in Corinthians. You know, it's not love. Somebody lied to you. They told you that word. It's not that's what that means. You don't understand what it means. And you sit there and you look at these things and, and faith in God. It's not something we can come up with. It's not something we can produce in ourselves. It's given from God. It's simply just trusting in Him, which is an awesome thing. Our faith, we're not the author and finisher of our faith. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. And the proof of this is this lame man. Peter goes, look at this guy. He's been at the gates praying. He's been at the temple for 40 years in there. Did the man stand up when Peter said, here, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And so the guy jumped up. No, he got pulled up to his feet. And Peter said, well, it's not me, it's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The faith that God has the ability to change somebody is not based on our ability, not based on our will, will worthiness. It's based on one thing. God to work and change our lives is based on one thing. Our willingness to let him. Not the amount of faith you have that he could do it. It's your willingness to let him and obey. And at first when you sit there, I was thinking, man, your willingness to let him. Amen. And then I have written in my notes right here, oh no. No, no, because yeah, God's, you know, God has the ability to change all these things in my life and the faith to do it. And he's, I can trust him with these things. And if he allows something that's hard, I can trust him with it. Amen. It's all about my willingness. Then I realize there's areas that need to be changed in my life and I need to grow. And it's not based on the excuses I've come up with that I'm too much of a sinner. I struggle in this area. I just don't have time. All the stupid things I come up with are now an oh no. It's all about your heart, Tim. It's not about the time you have in a day. It's not about what's going on. It's not about this person and this life situation or that work situation. It's not about any of that, is it? It's about, am I willing to obey you, Lord, in this? Well, this thing I'm struggling with, I just this and this. Okay, are you willing to sacrifice those things that somehow you think, you know? Well, I just really don't have time for daily devotions. 
but I really got to watch this show before I go to bed and save me, you know, waste an hour. Go to bed an hour earlier. Do your devotion then. You know, like God keep you up all night dealing with it. Do them in the morning. It's easier. Trust me. No, I mean, it's the truth. I'm sorry. You ever guys do that? I, I mean, I'm stretched studying time-wise, and I'm studying, and I'm reading through stuff, and I go to bed and, you know, wake up early to finish, but I'm not sleeping half the night. Uh, you know, either dreaming that I woke, you ever, you, we, I talked to a couple other pastors, this is just something funny I gotta say, I was talking to Bob Scott, which um, up there in uh, uh, Placer, and his, his, the house burning down, keep him in prayer, keep his family in prayer. They're, they're finally, yeah, they dug a whole bunch of lot, holes in his lot to get rid of any of the contaminants in the soil, so now he has a lot full of holes that nobody covers the repair of. So anyways, keep them in prayer. But we were talking and it's like when you were in school back in the day, you remember having a dream of showing up without your pants or something, right? Okay. As a pastor, you dream suddenly you got to teach in a couple minutes and you didn't prepare at all. And then the other thing is you cannot read the word of God. You get up there to even try to figure like, okay, I got a backup one. I can teach through first Psalms. You, know, you can't read it. The words are blurry. I mean, it's a dream we all have. So that's the dreams I have when I, anyways, so you know, Pray for me. No. Yeah. Just was interesting. I love talking to Bob. At least there's things you can relate over. I mean, he's been serving for 35 years in ministry, you know, and then me a year and a half and still, okay. You know, special club there. Um, but you sit there and you look at these things and you realize, hey, there's, there's areas we need to grow into and the excuses I make are not to do things. God, why isn't this happening in my life? And God many times says, change this, obey me here. No, I don't want to do that. I just want this to be okay. No, 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 no. For that to work, you need to trust and obey me here. No, 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 no. I just want the blessing, and I want to continue to descend, Lord. Come on, please. I mean, and, and it doesn't work. I've tried it for years, trust me. I mean, it's up there. Verse 17, and he says, Yet now, brethren, again, Peter's been here. He's calling them brethren. I'm right there with you. I know that you did this in ignorance as did also your rulers. Brethren, Peter, Peter goes, no, I know you guys did this in ignorance. I denied him three times. You guys put him on a cross and I, and I pretended I didn't know the guy. You know? I know who I am. Peter knew he was a sinner saved by God's grace. That's why he could be so bold. He knows himself. You want to find yourself? Open the word of God up and you're going to find out you're a sinner saved by God's grace and that's it. And you're going to start to find out who Jesus is, this loving Savior. You know, they did this in ignorance. Guess what? After this point, it's not ignorance anymore. He's now telling them. God's confronting them. The Holy Spirit's confronting this whole group of people here. There is no ignorance left. If God is convicting you of something, you're no longer in ignorance. From here forward, God called you out on something as we're sitting here and the Holy Spirit saying, yep, I told you to change that. You're no longer ignorant of it. Now you're in disobedience. Clear disobedience. So you're on the hook because I'm on the hook. Verse 18, he says, But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ would suffer as thus fulfilled. God knew it from the foundations of earth. He was willing to pay for it from the beginning. As much as that sin and those things you've messed up in your life that are despicable, that you would not want anybody else to even see or know, God knew it, and he knew from the foundations of the earth, and it had a plan to restore you to himself. 
That is who our Savior is. He is fully God, fully knowing that he was going to come and pay for our sin, knowing he was going to leave heaven aside to take the place on the cross for our sin, to pay that price. What are we to do with that? How are you supposed to respond to that? Verse 19, I'm glad you asked. Verse 19, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repent. Another scary word people don't like to hear. Repent. What does that mean to do? It means to change direction, to change your thinking, to be converted. The Bible also in in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So if I took a cat and I recreated it into a duck, would it act differently? Yes, and if it didn't, it would have some major issues around other cats, per se. Alright? Things don't work out too well when they're not acting as you're created. If you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and you're running around acting like that old person and it hasn't passed away and you haven't converted and changed and repented, Things aren't going to work out. This Christian life's going to be painful. It's going to stink. It won't make sense. And we see it today. And then the world comes in and gives advice. And you see all these, you know, just walk in, look online, Christian books, how to be a better you in Christ. You know, because they added that after the first book or something. You know, the best you you can be. I mean, look at all these. You are not going to function the same. You have to stop and go, my mind, my thinking, the way I view things has to be different. My day has to be different. For these Jewish believers to convert from the Old Testament, the requirements, going to the temple, the sacrificial, all the laws, all the feasts, to convert and change their thinking and to move into a new covenant and a relationship with Christ, their lives were going to change. Their day was going to change. Even for Peter later, his diet was going to change. The whole way he thought about life had to change. And many times we begin that way as a Christian, we're blown away. You know, I love it. I remember having a guy who, who, who a new believer in my trucks, accepted Christ, and just the next day he's sitting there staring at a tree in Stockton on the sidewalk. We're not talking we're in the forest, okay? We're in Stockton. It's a city-planted tree. It's nothing special. And he's, bro, bro, God created that tree. And it's like, yeah, he did. And I'm like, Dad, I need to drug test you again. I mean, like, <laughs> it's just a tree. But that joy, that whole thinking, that process, my whole world is different. I know there's a creator, and he's created this thing. And, he, and guess what, Tim? He made it for us. Like, well, okay, well, you know, our thinking has to change, and sometimes it goes away. Sometimes we start going back to, you know, Yes, I'm a new creation in Christ. Everything's great. Cool. A week later, out digging in the backyard, trying to dig that old man back up. Going, hey, what did I used to be? You know, I'm kind of more comfortable with this, Lord. I excited you, but you know, I don't want to lose my identity, you know. I still want to act like I used to a little here, you know. We are a new creation. And being a new creation, and that... It says that your sin may be blotted out. Now back in that day, they didn't have ink with acid in it. 
that meant and didn't stick on the paper, it means you could take a rag and wipe it off. Okay, so they all had dry erase markers, that was it, no Sharpies. Okay, so back even up. And so another way to blot it out wasn't to just cover it over or hide it over or cover it up. It means your sin's gone as far as the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, which I love telling little kids because God made the earth round, not flat, and it wasn't the north from the south. So he had a 50-50 chance. It's a good thing he was God and knew you'll never go west and ever get to east. You notice that? What happens when you get to the North Pole? What do you have to do? Go south. There's a measurable distance. God says he removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. It's never going to meet. He's blotted it out. He's taking care of them. Repent, and our sin is washed away, white as snow. And he says, so that times of refreshing may come in the presence of the Lord. For a Jewish believer to come before the Lord, especially in this time with, we'll see Ananias and the rest of the, you know, 72 guys there growing, poor little uh, Peter and John. I mean, they're so outmatched, the Sanhedrin was, compared to two guys with the Holy Spirit. But we see, as they're there, and at this time, Ananias was known for his carnival, for the courtyard, for the exchange of money, to be able to worship God. To worship God would have been a stressful time. Make Black Friday look like nothing. Okay, trying to get in there to have time to be right before the Lord was not a refreshing time. You know, there's certain times of the year where kids, oh, Christmas and stuff, it's not a refreshing time of the year. You know, going on vacation with me is not a refreshing time of the year. I don't sit still well. You know, there's times of refreshing that come from the presence of the Lord. Now there's a time of rest. Not of works, not of performance. You can sit there knowing God's forgiven you being right before God, him looking you in the face and saying, hey, you need to change these areas. God, help me change. Change my heart in these things. And you can take a deep breath and just enjoy his presence. Be refreshed, restored in him. Are you burned out of the holidays yet, anybody? Not yet? Just wait until the rest of the family comes for Christmas. No. You know, being refreshed... It is Jesus who is the forgiver of that sin that we can repent to that forgives us and he, Jesus, who is the refresher of our souls, of our hearts. Verse 20. And that he may send Jesus Christ whom was preached to you before whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken of by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. You have another promise here. The first promise, it says, repent, be converted, seek God, and there will be times of refreshing and our sin will be blotted out. The other promise here, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to restore. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. It's all going to be recreated again. It has been spoken of. It's been prophesied of. It is coming. God is going to restore a new heaven and a new earth. This isn't it. YOLO is a lie. Only unless you live in that county, then it's reality. But they were cold before they knew it, right? But you up there. Anyways, but you know, you don't live once. This isn't it. That's the biggest lie of this world. You only live once. This is it. Make the, you know, you got one chance. No, you don't. It's not the reality of it. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And it's going to so outweigh this one 
do not focus on this one. It's, this, this one's worth not spending much time focusing on. You know? For Moses, verse 22 is, For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him shall you hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul that will not hear that prophet shall utterly be destroyed from among the people. The Israelites were God's chosen people to represent it. They were God's chosen people. Still are God's chosen people. The ones who reject the Savior, they're going to be taken out. They're going to be utterly destroyed. And that time hasn't happened yet. It will happen. But God is still patiently dealing with the nation of Israel. We know that for a fact because we have the end of the story. We have Revelation. When thousands of them get saved and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, he's not done with them yet. You know, I've had people, why do you guys love Israel so much? They're a false religion. Okay. Um, should I hate them? Which people should I hate? I'm confused because I thought, you know, I should love them all. The cool thing is, yeah, I am so excited Israel's back in the nation again. I am pro-Israel. Because sooner they get on building that temple, the sooner we're out of here is my guesstimation, right? Like, no offense, but I'm pro-rapture. You know? Today, it's funny, though, if you asked a Jewish person what they thought of the Messiah to come, the Messiah they're expecting, they're expecting a Messiah like Moses, a man, not God. The problems you have with that is when you look at like, um, you know, there have been many problems in the Bible with that, but when you look at Isaiah 6, it says, and you guys, this will sound familiar for you, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So I don't think that. For unto us a child is born, and he will be what? Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Sounds like God to me. So how was God born? They knew this back in the time. The amazing thing is today they'll argue that oh, no, the, the Savior, the Messiah they're expecting is just going to be just a man, and there will be just a man who deceives him one day. But the Holy One, this child that is born, they and Mark and Luke, when they're growing Jesus, they ask him, are you the Holy One? And they first say, hey, or, you know, they ask John the Baptist, or, hey, John, John, are you, are you, are you, are you this, are you, what, what prophet are you? Are you Elisha? No. Are you the Holy One to come? And John says, no. So why were they looking for God coming as a man, and they're not now? I mean, back in the day, they sure had it figured out that God was coming in a man. I'm interesting. Verse 24 says, Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who followed, as many have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are the son of the prophets and the covenant of God, which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, In all your seed, the families of the earth shall be blessed. You know, the prophets... There's over 3,000 or 300 prophets that talk about the Messiah's death, life, birth, all these things regarding Jesus through the whole Old Testament. Jesus is the promised Savior. 
and he's a promised savior that all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Verse 26, to you first, God has have raised up his servant Jesus, sent to bless you in turning away from everyone from you. Yeah, we read that. To you, God, having raised his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Now, Jesus came to bless you. He's God's servant coming the promised servant, the promised Savior, coming to bless us. The word bless is to be happy. Now we have this problem with this word happy, and this is where the word blessed is a better word, which is another word that is being now stolen. Go look up hashtag blessed. You'll find out they're trying to rob that word too. Being blessed isn't a feeling or an object you have received in the mail from Amazon or somebody else who you like. That's not what the word blessed means. Blessed is not a feeling. It is a position. It comes from somebody. Jesus is the blesser. It is having an understanding, knowing the promises of God. It is having that relationship, having a real, not an emotional, not a feeling, a real look at the situation and knowing you are blessed because Jesus Christ died. He is the great blesser. Is he a blesser? It's kind of interesting. This verse actually tells us. And turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Now we went from who Jesus is back to us, right? How many of us have iniquities? Every one of you. Okay? Now, iniquities doesn't sound bad because we don't walk around using that, right? You never walk up to your three-year-old and you're like, you're a child of iniquity. No. Only unless you're a pastor. No. <laughs> depraved, wickedness, malice, evil purposes and desires. We all are have iniquity. You know why we have iniquity? Because he came to bless us and turn us away from it. He's not turning us away from something we're not going towards or have an issue with. You know, we're sitting here and we're called to be turned away. That's who we are. We are sinners saved by God's grace. We are believers that God has turned away from iniquities and we continue having to turn our way and looking back to him, to the cross, and sitting there. You know, after this, when we look in in, uh, chapter 4 next week as we go through, you will see there are going to be 5,000 more men added to the church, 4,000 more people, men, women, added to the church after this. The reality of who you are the reality of who God is should cause a response. And not all of them took it. Not all of them accepted. If there was one in four, it's possible. It could have been less. But 5,000 accepted. But you sit there and you wonder as you sit there and you look at these things and when people come and stand before the cross of Christ, sitting there, either approving of it. Can you imagine standing at the foot of the actual cross with Jesus on there? Yeah, some stand at that point in their heart and are approving of this. Going, yeah, this guy, he, he deserves it. How dare he call me unrighteous? How dare he say anything about my lifestyle? He'd get rid of him. He deserves a cross. Some will sit there and say, well, it's not my fault. My sin wasn't that bad. You know, look at this guy next to me. I don't want to be here at the cross with this guy. I mean, I, I would go there, but that guy's there. You know? And his sin's really bad. I mean, 
Sadly, some would sit at the cross looking at what Christ did for their sin upon the cross, and they would sit there, and they would ask, is there another way? I mean, I'm glad he did this for me and all, but can I do something else? Like, can I, is there a way I can stay the old creation but be okay? You know, like, can we work out a deal here? And others are yet cut to the heart. They're sitting there, they're cut to the heart, they see the actions of their sin, but they still love their sin so much they do not want to change. I understand my action, I understand how disgusted I am about it, and I'm cut to the heart, I understand, but I'm not going to change, I'm going to continue to do what I'm going to do. And hey, maybe I'll have to add some drugs on that or something to numb myself to the fact of reality, because I don't want to believe that reality. And I've seen that. But there's also those who sit there at the cross and in front of the cross and they realize, yeah, I'm a sinner. I'm unworthy and I have no ability to correct this. And what he's done, I cannot believe it. That is the hardest thing for me to grasp is God's love. I can grasp who I am. I have to live with myself. Ask my wife. No. But the cross, God loving me regardless... You talk about all the mysteries. If you want to sit there and go post-trib, mid-trib, whatever, once saved, all these deep theological questions that you cannot answer when you figure out God's outside of time and all these things, you just ask me, how does God love us? You want to sit there and try to figure something out and be amazed at something, dig deeper, look at that. We're going to take communion this morning, and really what communion is, is kind of sitting at the cross and sitting before Jesus is what he reminded us is, his body broken for us, his blood poured out for us and want to sit there and there's a time to sit there and remember who Jesus is and who we are and really take a real look at that in our lives and go okay God how do you want to change us am I your servant what do you owe him are you a new creation or are you just trying to be in a better improved version of who you were am, am I and, and, and you know one thing's amazing with a, with a creation you know what a creation has to do? It has to let the creator decide what it's going to be. It's not in charge. It doesn't, you know, a potter is not sitting there making a potter on a potter's wheel and the pot stands up and goes, hey, 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 I'm not really into this teacup thing. You know, I'd rather be this vessel. I don't like my way. I don't want to be used that way. You know, it's not, a, you know, it's not my gig. Is he the creator? Is he changing you? Are you seeking God and ask God, how am I supposed to function? What have you made me? How have you designed me? How have you gifted me? How have you called me? How have you blessed me? What ministry and work have you laid before me? Am I real with who I am that I can walk up to anybody and call him Honko Pro? I know where you're at. You're a sinner like me. Do you want to be a saved one? Let me introduce you to Jesus. Jesus, fully God. Jesus, the author, the prince of life. Jesus, our savior who took away our sin. Jesus, our savior who willingly died for us and for me. Jesus, the forgiver. Jesus, the refresher. Jesus, the restorer. The Jesus, the blesser. Jesus, the promised savior. That's our Lord. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you revealed yourself to us, your heart to us, Father, through your word. God, give us a desire just to meet with you each and every day, 
that we would come and sit at your feet, that we get to know you, that we would understand your word, that we would just take every opportunity to know you, Father. Change our lives. Continue to create us and just in us a new heart, God. Continue to direct us and guide us, Father. Just change us, Father, Lord. We thank you so much for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.